All right, well, hey, Bridge family, if you guys got your Bibles, uh, head over to Genesis chapter 15. That's where we're going to be today. And uh, man, just do want to let you know, if you haven't figured this out already, today is a very unique day in the life of our church um, in that we are celebrating baptism. And uh, just want to celebrate this. Um, today, we already have just people who are scheduled to be baptized. Um, we'll finish the day with over 75 people responding in baptism. That's right, man. Um, in one day. And uh, we are just uh, absolutely blown away by that. And I do just want to go ahead and put, uh, put this in your mind is at the end of uh, my message today, um, if you're here and you've crossed a line of faith but have never followed Christ in baptism, um, I'm going to give you a chance to respond and be baptized like on the spot in today's uh, worship gatherings. And we've got everything ready for you. Um, I'll explain that at the end of the message. But what I want you to do is right now go ahead and begin to ask the Holy Spirit is this what you want me to do? Is this the next thing that I need to do to follow Christ in faithfulness? And uh, we'll do that today. Um, well, here's what we're doing. Um, today, we are starting a series that we're just calling Theology. That's the title of the series, Theology. And what we're doing is for the next three weeks, uh, each week we're taking like some big theological word that the Bible uses um, that, you know, you kind of read, may not know what it is, and we're explaining what that is and why it's so important in the Christian life. Okay, now um, I need your help real quick um, because as I ran this past some other people, I even had people like telling me like, hey man, don't do that series. Like it's gonna be over people's heads, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, can I, uh, help me, I need to prove a point right now. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna prove a point. So real quick, pop quiz. Um, where are my nerds in the room? Any fellow nerds? I felt that's me, I'm a, to- okay, we're bashful. Um, real quick, so help me out. I just wanna, I, I need you to help me prove a point. So fellow nerds, help me answer this question. A creature in Middle Earth that lives in the Shire is about three feet tall and eats second breakfast is called a hobbit. Thank you very much. Okay, now remember that. Okay, now let me do another one. Um, Sports people, sports dudes, sports ladies. Okay, so this one, football, football trivia question. Okay, if a receiver is about to catch a ball and the defender grabs his arm to keep him from catching it, the penalty is called pass interference. That's right. We know what that is. Okay. Now one more. This was really interesting and disconcerting to me. Um, on fa- on uh, my social media page, I just asked like, hey, what is something that every woman knows what it is that men won't, won't know what it is? And I learned something new this week. So all of our ladies, I thought somebody posted something inappropriate on my Facebook page. It's not what it was, apparently. All of our ladies answer out loud, what is this? This is a Beauty blender. I did not know that. I've never seen, or a makeup contouring tool, that kind of thing. Okay, now, really quick, I did all that to actually prove a very important point. So just track with me. Can I I prove a point? If a nerd can learn what a hobbit is, and sports people can learn the names of 65 different football penalties, and every woman can rattle the name of 50 different makeup accessories off, then Christians can learn theological language in church. Amen? Amen. We're going to applaud that right now. We're going to applaud that right now. So every week for the next three weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take one of these big words. We're doing covenant, propitiation, and sanctification. And, uh, and here's why we're doing this. Watch this. Here's why. Because what God does is he blows your mind to capture your heart. That is always what he does. God will blow your mind to capture your heart. And each week we're going to see that. Now, today um, we are hitting what uh, a lot of theologians would call is the most dominant theme in all of the Bible. We are unpacking a word called covenant, the word covenant, okay? So if you got your Bibles, pick up with me in uh, Genesis 15, 
and uh, pick up with me in verse 7, and I'm going to point some things out. Heads up, this is my favorite chapter in the entire Old Testament, so I may get a little carried away. Okay, here we go. Genesis 15, starting in verse 7. And he, God, said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess, talking to Abram, who eventually gets known as Abraham. But he, Abram, said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old. Okay, now, right here, you may be going, what the heck, bring me a heifer? Okay, Abram knew exactly, and I'm gonna explain this here in a second. The second that God said, bring me a heifer, Abraham knew exactly what was happening, and it was very significant. A female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these. Now watch this. If you're gonna circle something in your Bible, circle this. And he cut them in half. Why did he do that? I'm gonna explain that in a second. He cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. So watch this. He creates an aisle out of the slaughtered pieces of the animal. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, watch this, dreadful and great darkness. If you're gonna circle something, circle that. That's really important. Fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. Now, really quick pause. What I want you to notice is that God now is reciting what are called covenant blessings and covenant curses. He's reciting the aspects of the covenant. So this, this promise that he's making. And they will be afflicted 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, now this is really important again, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Now, here's what you're going to notice. You guys who have different Bible translations, as many different Bible translations are in the room, this verse gets translated that many different ways. There's a reason for that. I'll explain that in a second. So the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a, here's that word, a covenant with Abram. Okay. Now, there's so much going on here. Um, let me just explain some things about the word covenant. Um, you may not know this. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, the entire Bible is actually a series of what are called covenants. In fact, um, I wish I could have you do this. If you turned right in your Bible to about two-thirds, way, uh, uh, two-thirds of the way through the Bible, there's going to be a page that separates what we call, watch this, the Old Testament from the New Testament. Guess what testament means? It, it means covenant. It comes from the Greek word diatheke. It comes from the Hebrew word berit, which is the Hebrew word covenant. So your Bible is actually divided in, into two covenants, old covenant, new covenant. In fact, if you really want to go home and do some study, what you'll notice is that the whole Bible is actually just a series of covenants God makes with five or six different people. Watch this. God makes a covenant with Adam, and then he makes a covenant with Noah, And then he makes another covenant with Abraham. Then he makes another covenant with Moses. Then he makes another covenant with David. And then finally, he makes the covenant that you and I are a part of if we place our faith in Jesus. He makes a new covenant. Jesus establishes a new covenant in his blood. Okay, now you may be asking the question, Josh, what is a covenant? Well, let me give you a short answer and then a a good answer. Okay, here's what a covenant is. A covenant, here's all that means. A covenant is a contract or an agreement. When God makes a covenant, 
It's a relationship with God on his own terms. That's what a covenant is. Now, uh, to illustrate this real quick, I'll, I'll give you an example of this. We actually have a couple of relationships in our nation today that are still covenants, even though we never use the word covenant. Marriage and, uh, and one other. I'll give you an example of this. So let, let me show you the other one. So uh, a lot of you guys may or may not know, this is my favorite picture of me and my oldest daughter, Eliana. This is, so this is me and Eliana. Everybody give me an... Ah, oh, thank you very much. That's Eliana, okay? Now, um, if, you, uh, if you haven't figured this out yet, um, Eliana is, she, we adopted Eliana, okay? If you haven't figured that out from looking at the picture. Uh, we adopted Eliana um, seven years ago when she was six weeks old. Now, let me ask you a question real quick, okay? Does Eliana share a biology and a DNA with me and Jana? Does she share a biology and a DNA with me and Jana? What do you think? The answer is... No, right? That's not awkward, right? It's not awkward for me. She does not share biology and DNA with us. In fact, um, a couple of years ago, uh, Jana was watching the TV show Blackish, and uh, she was folding laundry, and Eliana was in there watching with her. And uh, Jana noticed all of a sudden Eliana's eyes got really big. And she looked over at Jana, and Eliana said, Mom, can you imagine if our whole family was brown? Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you even imagine a whole family that's all brown, that kind of thing? So no, man, uh, Eliana does not share a DNA and a biology with me and Jana. But let me ask you this question. Is Eliana our real daughter? Yes, thank you for not answering hesitantly. Uh, there was once, I was in a grocery store one time and uh, was sharing our story with a lady behind us in line. And, uh, and right in front of Eliana, she asked me the question, do you have any real children? And what I wanted to say was, you're about to have a real black eye. You know, it's kind of it's like this. So yeah, it's like, man, yes, she is our real child. Now, let me, now watch this. Let, let me kind of point something out to you. So she doesn't share DNA and biology with us, but she is our real daughter. How? A covenant. A covenant has been established. You see, here's what a covenant is. A covenant is a combination of law and love. A combination of law and love. A covenant is more loving than just a legal relationship. I've got a contract with Netflix, but I'm not going to cry if the company dies. Okay? But a covenant is also more legal than a merely loving relationship. Eliana has our legal last name. Eliana has a legal right to our inheritance. Jana and I have legal responsibilities to Eliana. If we fail to love her faithfully, child protective services will show up on our door. Why? Because we have a legal obligation that we have entered into with our child. So a covenant is a, a blend of law and love. Now watch this. Let me help you understand this. Every relationship that you have ever entered into is one of two types of relationships. It's either a consumer relationship or a covenant relationship. Let, let, me, let me show you what these mean, okay? In a consumer relationship, the motto of that relationship is, listen, it's, I will be what I should be to you as long as you are what you should be to me. It's a relationship of consumption, okay? I'll give an example. Um, I have a probably unhealthy relationship uh, with the store Gap. Um, I literally don't own any clothes that are not for, we just wait all year for the little email that says they're doing the 50% off sale and then we shuffle in. It's, it's so bad that when I walk in, uh, the manager and I there, we're on a first name basis. Her name's Ronnie with one N 
And I walk in, by the way, Ronnie, if you're listening, you're awesome and I love you. And uh, every time, you know, every time we're there, Ronnie's like, hey, Josh, how was vacation? I'm like, hey, how are your kids? Yeah, that kind of thing. We have a relationship, okay? But watch this. If I ever find better jeans that are more comfortable at cheaper prices, Ronnie and I are through. (laughs) We're through, right? Now, listen, why? That's a consumer relationship. I will be what I should be to you as long as you are what you should be to me. But watch this. A covenant relationship is very different. A covenant relationship has this motto. In a covenant relationship, one person says to another, listen, I will be what I should be to you even if you are not what you should be to me. That's a covenant relationship. Now, um, you may not know this. You, you, if you, uh, you may actually be in a covenant relationship right now and not know it. In our culture, we have two covenantal relationships that still work like that. Marriage, and then uh, what's the other one? This is really obvious. It's with your children. <laughs> you got a covenant relationship with your children. Your love for your children is not dependent on how much better they make your life. Can I just ask you a question that's just really obvious for a second? What value are your kids adding to your life? <laughs> Uh, you know, honestly, let me just, I just want to very bluntly, are, do, do they help out around the house? Have you got young kids? Are they contributing financially to your prosperity? You know, are your kids, uh, do they make your life more easy and comfortable? You know, uh, the other, a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, we caught our three-year-old Felicity stealing M&Ms from our pantry. And Jana sat down with her and had to explain, hey, babe, you know, when you come to know God, there's this thing called conviction. She explained to her why stealing was wrong. And there's this thing called conviction when you come to know God. And when you know God, you don't want to break his commands and steal. And Felicity just smiled right back at Eliana. And she said, I don't know God yet. (laughs) See that? That's it. Sometimes they're not sweet little angels. Sometimes they're short little demons. You know, that's what they are. So let me ask you this. So So let me ask you, if they're not adding value to your life, why do you love them? Do you know why? Because it's a covenant love. It's I will be what I should be to you, even if you are not what you should be to me. And you guys know what the Bible says. The Bible says that the God of the universe has entered into a covenant relationship with anyone who is in Christ. That he has come to anybody who has placed their faith in Christ and said, because you are in Christ, I will be what I should be to you, even if and even when you are not what you should be to me. And do you guys realize what this means? Here's what this means. It means that you may have given up on God, but he has not given up on you. That man, that when we are faithless, he remains faithful. You might be here and you have walked away from God, but you know what I can promise you? He has not walked away from you. He is the God who leaves the 99 to chase the one. Some of you are here and you think that your actions, your choices, and your behavior can make you lovable in the sight of God. Can I explain something to you? God does not love you because you are lovely. God loves you because he is loving. That's why God loves you. Sometimes I'll put it to our church like this. I'll ask you to, on a scale of one to 10, tell me how God feels about you right now. And every single time I help you understand that if you are in Christ, the answer is it's always a 10. Do you know why the answer is that it's always a 10? Because God's, God's love for you is not dependent on your character. It's dependent upon his covenant that he established with you between his son, Jesus Christ. In the words of my three-year-old's children's Bible, God loves you with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. That is what it means for God to be in a 
covenant relationship of love with you. To summarize all of this, here's what it means for God to be in a covenant relationship of love with you. God is saying, I will love you even if it kills me. That's what that meant when God established a covenant with you. Now, what you got to understand is that God has not simply just established some generic, random covenant with his people. He has established a very specific type of covenant with his people. Um, When I read that passage in Genesis 15, there was a bunch of stuff that when I read it, you were probably like, dude, that is super weird. Bring me a heifer, you know, deep darkness, slain animals, walking the pieces, you know, what in the world is going on? Smoking fire pot, flaming torch, what is happening? Here's what's really interesting. Uh, The second in Genesis 15 that God said to Abraham, bring me a heifer, in that culture, Abraham knew exactly what was happening. Um, It's really interesting. In your Bibles, where your Bible says that God, quote, made a covenant with Abraham, that is not what the original language actually says. In the original Hebrew, what it says is God, quote, cut a covenant with Abraham. Every single time in the Bible that God establishes a covenant, the original language says that God, quote, cut that covenant. Here's why. Whenever you established a covenant, this is very important. Now, wait, real, real, real quick. I'm getting ready to teach and get, get a little deeper into the text for a second, but I'm going somewhere. Everybody do this. Touch your neighbor and say, he's going somewhere. Do it right now. Touch your neighbor and say, he's going somewhere. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? So you hang with me. Here's what happens. If somebody wanted to establish a covenant with somebody, a covenant was always established between, listen, a greater party and a lesser party. If we want to get like super Bible nerd for a second, that's called a suzerain vassal covenant. The suzerain is a greater party, the vassal is a lesser party, and covenants were always established between a greater and a lesser. Whenever you wanted to establish a covenant, the greater party would tell the lesser party to go get a series of ritual sacrificial animals and tell that person to cut those animals in half. That's why you, quote, cut a covenant. The lesser party would then lay the slain pieces of the animal in an aisle in front of and in between him and the greater party, And then, this is very important, listen, the lesser party would always be the one that walked in between the pieces of the slain animals toward the greater party, and as they walked the pieces, they would recite the terms of the covenant. If I do this, you will do that. If you do that, I will do this. And as they were walking the pieces and reciting covenant blessings and curses, it was as if they were saying, if I break this covenant, may I become as these slain animals that have been torn in two. Now, I want you to think about this. We're here in Genesis 15. As soon as God says, bring me a heifer. Abraham knows exactly what's going to happen. Oh, the greater party is going to make a covenant with the lesser party. All the animals have been laid down. There's an aisle of slain animals. But then just at the moment when the lesser party was supposed to walk the pieces towards the greater party, the Bible says that something very mysterious happened. It is the only time in the entire recorded history of the world that this happened. In that moment, the Bible says that a deep sleep fell upon Abram. God rendered him unable to do anything on his own. And then it says a deep, listen, a deep and impenetrable darkness fell. And as soon as it fell, your Bible says that two things appeared, a smoking fire pot 
and a flaming torch. Now, those two words are notoriously hard to translate. If you have three different translations, they'll say three different things. Here's what's really important. Those are the exact two words that are used when the presence of God descends on Mount Sinai to appear and speak with Moses in person. And so God himself is present in physical form. And in the only time in all of recorded history this happens, the lesser party does not walk the pieces. The greater party steps forward, and God himself begins to walk the pieces of the slain animal. One of my favorite Bible scholars, um, a woman named Sandra Richter, she summarizes it like this. She says, All the trappings of a covenant are here. Covenant partners are present. Ritual animals have been slain and laid upon the ground. The stipulations of the covenant have been recited. But did you notice who walked the pieces? Listen. Who by his actions announced, may what has happened to these animals happen to me if this covenant is broken. And then she says this. The Lord of the cosmos traversed the bloody alley in order to announce to Abram and his offspring that he would not fail. You see, what happened is in that moment, God said, if this covenant is broken, you won't be torn in two. If this covenant is broken, may I be torn in two like these slain animals. And my friends, that is exactly what happened. We broke the covenant, but somebody else walked the pieces. You may hear that and you may go, wait a second, Josh, where in the world do we ever see God walk the pieces? Uh, Where does God, where is he torn in two? Where does the immortal become mortal. Where do we see God die? What do you guys remember? Do you remember that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, do you remember what the Bible says his appearance changed to? His appearance became like lightning and fire. Do you remember when Jesus went to Golgotha as he ascended the cross? The Bible says, wait a second. It says, a deep and impenetrable darkness fell. And in that moment, God himself was present. And when Jesus went to the cross, we had broken the covenant, but God was walking the pieces. God himself was the slain lamb torn into for the sins of the world. You see, by our sin, we broke that covenant. And by God's righteousness, he walked the pieces for you, for you. That's the best news you'll ever hear. Now listen. What's really interesting is that any time in the whole Bible you see a covenant, there's always a sign that accompanies the covenant. Some of you guys are actually wearing a covenant sign. Um, If you're married, in our culture, the sign of the covenant of marriage is a wedding ring. We wear a wedding ring to show that we're a part of that covenant. Think throughout the rest of the Bible. When God makes a covenant with Noah, he, he creates a sign. He puts a rainbow in the sky to remind as a sign of the covenant. When God enters into a covenant with Abraham, he gives a covenant sign. Circumcision is a sign of the covenant. Do you know what the sign of us being in a covenant relationship with Jesus is? It's baptism. In baptism, Jesus says to us, I walked the pieces. I just want you to walk the water. And when you... As a person, if you cross a line of faith and you make a decision to be baptized, what you're saying is, I am publicly identifying with the death, burial, resurrection, and consummation of Jesus, and his life becomes my life, and his death was counted as my death. And that's how you show that you are in that covenant. That's right. Now, 
That is very powerful. Something very powerful happens when we're willing to take a step to show that this covenant's ours, we're in. And I want you to see what that looks like. So check this out, a story from a couple in our church. Before I encountered God, I went through a season mourning the loss of my brother. I went through uh, some addiction, some substance abuse, and I actually had a failed marriage in the result of some infertility and infidelity. Before God, I was a single mom. I had just gotten out of a mentally abusive relationship that was surrounded by addiction. Started going out more and drinking more and doing, living my life in a way I shouldn't. And I was kind of mad. I was mad at God. You know, like, I'm trying to do good for my son. I'm trying to do this. I'm working two jobs. I'm dealing with drinking and legal problems and being a single mom. I was uh, in a dark place. So I was kind of in the middle of my storm um, when I encountered God. It was a holiday weekend, and I didn't have my little one. I, um, I decided I wasn't going to go out this weekend. And uh, I remember clearly just dropping to my knees and crying out to God. I just remember like sitting in my apartment. I was feeling really alone. And saying, I'm here and I need you to save me. I just closed my eyes and prayed. Almost like I had given up on rebelling against him. I was like, you know what? What do you want me to do now, God? I started putting myself in that mindset and I am kid you not, a week and a half later, this guy came into my life. <laughs> we started pursuing God together. Obviously, he had been more involved before, but Seeing him take that next step of baptism really was an eye-opening experience for me, too. I was baptized as an infant with water poured over my head. She was baptized when she was 16 because, yeah, that's what everybody was doing. So she, you know, was just following. And when we came to the bridge, you know, it was a real encounter with Jesus. Even walking through the doors, I can feel the Spirit. I can just a genuine encounter with Jesus. And uh, actually, Sam uh, was on the microphone in the Columbia campus here and said, June 3rd is our next baptism. And previous to that, I'd just been, again, making those excuses as like, oh, I need to wait to the right time, wait till it feels right. But for me, it was just a step of obedience. And he said, June 3rd is our next baptism. And June 3rd happens to be uh, the anniversary of my brother's death date. So it was very symbolic for me, and I was like, I have to do this. Me coming from such a dark place, it was like the message every time we were in service, it just was pulling at my heart of like, you know, God died for my sins too. As bad as some of the choices that I made were. And that it's okay, like, sorry. I don't need to sit here and judge myself, and I don't need to let other people judge me because God forgave me of my sins too. So he got baptized in June, we were engaged in July, and shortly after our engagement, I decided, you know, I've asked God into my heart and asked for forgiveness, but it was that point where I was ready to show that outward expression of this, of my inward change. My family was there, and Miles was there, and it was just overwhelming with joy because the people who had seen me go through such hard times and have always been there to like pick me up 
now I was up there standing up as an example for them that your life can change for the better. There was a difference between when I was 16 and didn't know and had doubts and didn't know what to believe in and, and now where I'm steadfast and hungry for more Jesus. Amen, man. Amen. Yeah, we want to clap. That's right. It's there. You just got to. Amen. Yeah. And man, some of you are in that exact same spot. And uh, right now we're getting ready to celebrate baptism with um, a lot of people in this service who they've crossed the line of faith and they're ready to publicly declare that they're with Jesus. Um, but I also want to speak to you because right now, if you have not taken that step, we're going to give you a chance to take that step like right now. Okay. So there's some of you who, here's your story. Um, you have never crossed the line of faith and you've been kind of investigating this Christianity thing for a while. And today there is something rising inside of you that makes you realize I, I need to do this. Like I'm, I'm in with Jesus. Um, in the Bible, how people respond in faith for salvation, it's always baptism. And so here in a second, I, I want you to today just make that decision. I am going to be baptized today as a public profession of my internal faith in Christ. But then there's also a bunch of you in this spot, right? Um, there's a bunch of you who it's like, man, Josh, I was baptized when I was really young. It wasn't meaningful. You know, I was a baby. Uh, can I just speak really gently to you for a second? If you were baptized as a baby, what that, that was a declaration of your parents' faith. And what you need to do is Jesus is calling you to make a declaration of your own faith. And, and maybe today what needs to happen is you need to take a step forward and ratify and make your parents' faith your own. And by doing that, you are not dishonoring the faith of your parents. You are honoring and continuing the faith of your parents. And you need to take that step today in obedience to Christ. Um, some of you guys right now, you know, you may have an objection. Um, you may be here and you're going like, man, Josh, wait, don't I need to take a class or do some religious things or, you know, prove that I'm sincere about living a Christian life for the next few years? Can I just point something out to you? Every single time in the entire New Testament that someone is saved, they are immediately baptized with no waiting whatsoever. In Acts chapter two, 3,000 people believe and are baptized, quote, that same day. In Acts chapter eight, when the, the Ethiopian eunuch believes on Christ, you guys remember what he says? He looks at a puddle and he says, here is water. What is keeping me from being baptized? You know, and right now, some of you, there might be something rising up within you that's going, here's water. What is keeping me from being baptized? That is the spirit of the living God rising up in you to have you take a step to follow Christ in discipleship. Okay, now, some of you might be here and you may have this, you're kind of going, but wait a second, you know, all that's cool, I wanna do it, but I came with other people and they don't wanna wait on me. Yes, they do. <laughs> they really, really do. The entire reason that we gather as a church is to be able to celebrate and see people follow Christ. So can, in fact, can you guys do this right now? This is kind of awkward. Can you look at the person on your right and left and say, if you need to be baptized, I'll stay. If you need to be baptized, I'll stay. Do it right now. If you, need, if you want to be baptized, I'm staying. Let them know. And if they won't do it, they must really hate Jesus. You got to really hate Jesus to refuse that one. So man, just know that. Now, all the logistics, some of you guys are like, man, Josh, yeah, but a towel on a change of clothes. Listen, here's how far we went to make sure that you could follow Christ in baptism today. Outside, we've got little duffel bags 
uh, with literally everything you need to be baptized. We've got towels. We've got uh, changes of clothes from extra small to triple XL, praise Christ. We've got every size, uh, t-shirts, shorts. We have undergarments in your size ready for you, ladies and gentlemen. We've got them all. And so they're all right out there and they're all black, you know, amen. You know, everything's, everything, it's just, and so uh, listen, everything is out there. So you don't have a towel, we do. You don't have a change of clothes, we do. Uh, you may go, man, I want my family to see it. We've got professional photographers here that are going to be taking pictures of your baptism for you to be able to give to your family. And you may be going, man, you know, I want to do it, but Josh, you know, I'm going to be here and I'm going to get my hair wet. I'm not going to look great. Well, guys, listen, Jesus died on the cross. He didn't look great either. And so guys, I think what we can do is follow him in that step. So here's what we're going to do, guys. I don't want anybody to move. No, I don't want volunteers, counselors, that kind of thing. I don't want anybody to move. Here in a second, I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, all of us are going to stand and we're going to applaud everybody in this room that's making a decision to be baptized and follow Christ today. But listen, if you're here, if you're scheduled to be baptized or if you're here and you're like, man, today's my day. I need to follow Christ. All I want you to do is as soon as we stand up, when everybody's applauding, just walk right outside those back doors and we got people out there that'll get you ready to take that step today, both here and from Coffee House Venue. Just walk right out the back doors and we'll take care of everything else. So let's do it. Man, he walked the pieces. You walk the water. So on the count of three, let's stand. If you need to do that, just walk right back. Count of three. One, God loves you. Two, you came here for a reason today. Three, just stand up right now. If you need to be baptized, just go ahead and start moving. You need to be baptized? Yes, man. That's right. If you need to be baptized, just start moving towards the back. Amen. 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 That's right. Amen. Praise Christ. Bridge family, celebrate the people who are making that decision. Yes, man. Let's celebrate all the people doing that. It's not too late. Man, it's not too late. If that's you, like, do it right now. Right out those doors. That's right. Amen. 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 Yes, man.